2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 16 through 33. And I entitled the message, <clears throat> Paul's Many Trials. Paul's Many Trials. Of course, you could cross out Paul's name and put your name. Because we all go through trials. And some more than others, but we do go through many trials. Even though Paul <clears throat> has cleverly exposed his adversaries in verse 15, where we left off, he wants to play, uh, well, he's not finished yet, exposing his adversaries. And he, he wants to play the fool for a moment. And that's in order to show an obvious difference between him and his adversaries. Because these imposters are mistreating and humiliating the Corinthians. And the way they were behaving couldn't be said of Paul. He wasn't at all like the imposters, though they claimed to be in the ministry and to be just like Paul. But there was obviously a huge difference. And so, um, Paul admits he wasn't about to do what they were doing. Paul was careful to explain why he was boasting the way he was. Paul never had any problem boasting about Jesus. That's the difference. You know, it's what is it that we boast about? Paul boasted about Jesus Christ. And he talked about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And he was always hesitant to talk about his own painful experiences as a servant of God. Paul Normandy didn't do that. But he's going to do that here in order to show the difference between himself and these imposters who said they were just like Paul and their ministry was just like Paul's. So he's going to show the difference between the two groups through the things that he went through. And again, not bragging about them, but saying, hey, can you or have you, you know, experienced the sufferings of Christ in your ministry? Paul only gloried in the Lord. Only in the Lord. It was the immature and unspiritual attitude of the Corinthians that forced Paul to write about himself and to boast about his experiences. And he started this section in verse 1 by apologizing for his boasting, and now he repeats his feelings again, beginning here in verse 16. So let's look at verses 16 and 17 in chapter 11. And Paul says, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, and let and at least uh, receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. So, verse 17. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly in this confidence of boasting. So Paul says, look, I have to go on in this foolishness, and you need to hear what I'm saying. Verses 18 and 19. And he goes on, he says, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. For you put up with fools gladly since yourselves are wise. He says here, since others boast about their human achievements, I'm going to do that too. After all, you think you're so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. Verse 20, for you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you. If one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. So what he's doing here, he's actually rebuking them here. He says, you know, 
if someone can come to you, you know, if someone comes to you, they enslave you. They take everything from you, everything that you have. They take advantage of you. They take control of everything. And they even slap you in the face and you'll put up with it. Now, this isn't just a reason, reason for Paul to boast, but it's also an accusation against the people. Because they accepted the foolish boasting of Paul's enemies, even though his enemies enslaved them. He says here in verse 20, notice, they're in bondage. And then, and then he says, they devour you or they fleeced you. And they abused you and belittled you. And that's what's meant by they strike you in the face. This acceptance is typical of carnal men in every age and in every area of life. For example, in religion. And we've seen this many times. All you have to do is turn on the TV late in the night. People will give money to religious swindlers who give them nothing in return except more letters requesting more money. And in counseling, I've seen this, which we see a lot today. You know, you want counseling, sometimes you, you call out of places and, uh, you know, it, it, they, they want to charge you. They want to charge you high fees. And then they drag out their counseling sessions for, for months. Well, you know, the more sessions, the more money they make. So again, it, and, and then here's the sad part. Many times, it doesn't help them. And yet their clients are loyal to these counselors. Why? Because they desperately want and need help. And they put their trust in them. Yet, when the people get away from the biblical truth, they'll pay the devil a high price to lead them and will praise him and vote for him again and again, you know, uh, in, in spite of the high cost of his leadership. And I also believe they're waiting for somebody to tell them what they want to hear. Yes, you should get a divorce, divorce or, or yes, they, they are going to change, or yes, it's okay to do that when biblically it's not. And when man begins to give you his counsel, whether what they do is they're taking now God out of the council. We see an example of this in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. It says, Mark says here, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood. She had an issue of blood. She was hemorrhaging for 12 years. It says, Now a, a certain woman had a flow of blood or was hemorrhaging for 12 years, and she had suffered many things, notice, from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and she was no better. Huh. Spent all that she had, but was no better. But rather, she grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. Because she said, if I only can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And it says, immediately the the fountain of her blood, the hemorrhaging was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. You see what it took was the touch of Jesus Christ. That's what it takes in our life. The touch of Christ in our life for healing of, of, of many types. Not just the physical, but maybe for mental healings, emotional healings, family healings, financial healings, whatever it might be. Jesus Christ is the answer to those needs. Verse 21. Paul goes on to say, To our shame, I say that we were too, that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Now, he's being a little sarcastic here. Paul apologizes that he wasn't able 
up to this point to take part in the type of glorying which his enemies were doing. He says, I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. He says, the Corinthians thought Paul's meekness was weakness. He wasn't doing it because he was weak, but because he was meek. When it was really strength, and they thought that the Judaizers or the legalists, you know, the arrogance, they thought that was power. How unaware Christians can be sometimes when it came to their Jewish heritage. The false teachers were equal to Paul. But when it came to ministry for Christ, it was Paul who was, you could call it, figuratively speaking, a a, a super apostle and not the Judaizers. Verse 22, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Here's the list of things that Paul boasted about, which is in the same areas that Paul's enemies were boasting about. Paul shows that he has actually more to uh, to boast about than his enemies did. In fact, many items listed here wouldn't be something the enemy could boast about. So if they accepted his enemies, they should accept Paul even more. Then he talks about his people. He says, are they Hebrews? He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So the religious critic and the false teachers boasted in their race, but Paul was for real. Here's an illustration. Matthew 3, 7 through 9. When John the Baptist, it says, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these nations. So here's John the Baptist. He's baptizing these new believers. And so the Pharisees, these Jewish legalists, these Jewish leaders and the Sadducees, they come up to the baptism. And and I love John because he was just straight up. He said, hey, man, you brood of vipers. Just call them snakes. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? He tells them, bear fruits worthy of repentance. He he said, show me. Show me that you're truly born again. Show me that you're a child of God. You know, he was asking for for proof. And, 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 you know, our lives demonstrate whether we truly are born again or not. And so John the Baptist says, bear fruits worthy of penance. He says, don't say to yourself, well, you know, I'm a father of Abraham, and you know, I was born in a Christian family, and that doesn't make you a Christian. He's got, he, John the Baptist tells uh, the, the legalists, the, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, hey, I can, I can turn these rocks into children of Abraham. He said, bear fruit. Show me fruit that you're truly born again, repentant. Like the religionists of Christ's day, these, these Pharisees and these scribes, and they thought because they were Jews that that was their magic ticket to heaven. But Paul responds by saying, hey man, I have an ancestry too. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I, I'm an Israelite. I'm of the seed of Abraham as well. So he says, I have an ancestry just as impressive as yours. Verse 23. He says, but are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. So Paul now is, is showing now the difference between 
himself and them. He's speaking now uh, about his position. He says, are you guys, are they ministers of Christ? I am more. Paul had a much more impressive call and commission and ministry than any of his critics. He's saying here, he's no, notice what Paul went through for Jesus Christ and for the care of the churches. He experienced frequent, frequent difficulties. He says, notice, in labors, more abundant. The word for labors means toil, trouble, and weariness. And you know what? Paul took difficulty in good spirits. When Paul went through these difficult times in serving Jesus Christ, it was all part of the program. He did it in good spirits because he knew it was part of, of serving Christ. He knew that it was an essential part of his call. Now, you know, if there was a mountain, he'd climb it. If there was a river, he'd cross it. If there was a canyon, he'd bridge it. If there was an ocean, he'd cross it. If there was a barrier, he'd march through it. You see, Paul didn't stop at anything. Obstacles were there to be overcome by faith in God and by determination and hard work. There's an illustration of this uh, by David Livingstone, who was a missionary. There was a missionary society who wrote to David Livingston. And they asked David Livingston, he says, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to send other men to join you. Livingston rep replied, If you have men who will come only if they know there's a good road, he says, I don't want them. He says, I want men who will come if there is no road at all. Question is, what kind of man, what kind of woman are you? Then Paul talked about his frequent dangers in verse 23. He says, I experienced stripes in stripes above measure. In other words, he says, I've experienced so many beatings. Paul's flesh, hey, it was just like ours. It bled when he was cut. It bled when the skin was torn open. The rod and the whip tore and ripped through Paul's flesh. The same as it would yours or mine. Paul knew what it was like to feel the full strength of a Roman soldier's arm with every stinging blow of the whip. Inwardly, think of it. Inwardly, when he thought about it, he must have cringed when he would be sentenced to another beating. He must have died inside when he was tied up by the jailers for another whipping. He knew by experience what to expect. He knew the pain. He knew the, the, the torture that he'd go through. How the whip would sting. How the blows would come nonstop one after another. Not, not even enough time to catch his breath between blows. Stinging and ripping open his flesh. Tearing apart his muscles. People in those days used to die just from the loss of blood. From those whippings. He knew how long it would take for those terrible wounds and bruises to heal before he could move around. So many beatings. I mean, Paul was a servant. And what a servant he was. And you know what? Paul never let the thought of another beating stop him from serving the Lord. He didn't say, you know, he never came to a point where he said, you know, I've had it, I'm done. And today in the church, many of the servants, they... they they run, they quit at the smallest little thing. Somebody looks at him and cross it. I'm done. I quit. 
And here Paul beating after beating after beating. Nothing stopped him from serving the Lord. He said above measure. You know, he experienced things above measure, more than you could measure. Above measure means over or beyond. Paul was saying that, I, that he was beaten time without number. He'd been beaten so many times he'd lost count. He was imprisoned often. Verse 23 says, in prisons more frequently. Paul was not a stranger to prisons. Paul, Paul probably knew the prisons in town better than he knew the inns and the, the hotels and the markets. Because he spent more time there than anywhere else when he got to town. And the prisons of his day, they weren't like the prisons of today. And the prisons of that day, they weren't sanitary like prisons today. The prisons that Paul knew, they were often filthy, dark, and damp, cold, with chains and stocks to add to a prisoner's torture, and meals were a hit-and-miss affair. Sometimes he ate, sometimes he didn't. And often food was provided by his friends and family. Even, even his house arrest at home, at home, at Rome, obtained for him by his Roman citizenship. That didn't exempt him from being chained day and night to a soldier. And he said to add to all of this, he said, I often faced death. Paul faced death again and again. Wherever Paul went, whenever he went into another city with the gospel, he never knew if he was going to come out alive. When he went on a journey by land or sea, he knew. He knew what it was to count the cost. And he knew very well he could die on the way. For Paul, he accepted it. He accepted it as being a part of the cost of doing business, for lack of better words, for serving Jesus Christ. He said, I die every day. Jesus talked about counting the cost in following him. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, listen to what it says. It says, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and he said to them, a lot of them were following him. A lot of said, oh, Jesus will follow you. And when he saw this great guy, a lot of them were just following him like a lot of people to see what they could get from him. But he saw this great multitude following him and he turned around and he said this to them. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when he says, if you don't hate your family more than me, he's not, it's not a literal hate. It's, a, it's, loving, it's loving them less than Christ. It's not hating them. In other words, because sometimes Jesus will ask us to do something that, okay, now I get to decide family or Christ. And that we are to serve Christ wholeheartedly. He says, but if you can't make that decision, then he says, you can't be my disciple. He says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, and here's where he's talking about counting the cost. For which of you, if you intended to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether you have enough to finish it. Lest after you have laid the foundation and you're not able to finish it, all those who see it mock you, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, if he's going to go to war, doesn't first sit down and consider whether he has enough men you know, to meet those that are coming against him. Or else, while the other still is a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks condition of peace. 
So likewise, he's comparing that to whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There is a cost to following Jesus Christ. He doesn't force anybody. He doesn't twist anybody's arm. It's saying, hey, I want to follow, follow Jesus. He says, well, wait a minute. You better count the cost. You better see what it's going to take. And Paul is, is giving that example here. And when you think, of it, when you think about this, you, know, you can't help but wonder, where did Paul get the ability to face this constant danger to, to face this constant pain and suffering that he went through to be able to keep going in serving Jesus Christ. Well, he tells us in Romans 8, 35 through 39, he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, sep- tribula- shall, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine <clears throat> or nakedness or peril or sword? He says, as it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, I love this, and yet all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's love for Jesus is what motivated him. He'd met the risen Lord. He was, loved with, he, he was loved with a love that had no boundaries. He'd seen the nail prints in his hands. He loved Jesus with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, with every fiber of his being. His heart, heart overflowed with, a love, with love for lost people. You see, love is what drove Paul. But this was just a part of his list. Now it becomes broader. Look at verses 24 through 25. He said, from the Jews five times. Notice, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night. And I have been in the deep. He mentions persecutions that he faced. His persecutions included stripes, whippings. The beatings he received from the hand of the Jews were probably sentences that were handed down by the local authorities in the synagogues for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Mosaic law prohibited giving a man more than 40 stripes, 40 whippings, 40 lashes. So in order to accidentally avoid breaking the law, the Jews lowered it to the maximum of 39 you see the jews had a way in those days of delivering 39 stripes to prevent killing the person as well they would apply 13 stripes on one side and then 13 on the other in other words they whip him 13 times on one side then they whip him 13 times on the other side this is the kind of paul the torture says here in this verse that paul went through five times five times then it says there in verse 25, I was once I was stoned to death. In other words, Paul was dragged out of the city and stoned, but they thought he had died. They stopped throwing the rocks at him when they thought he was dead. Then he says, I was shipwrecked. Being shipwrecked is bad enough, but to be in the sea, think of it, day and night, drifting, 
in the stormy sea. It has to be a terrifying experience. Verse 26, he says, I was in journeys often. In other words, traveling from town to town. The highways were dangerous then. Paul's missionary travels alone covered over 5,000 miles, 5,580 miles without modern transportation today. Verse 26, he says, I was in dangerous waters. Paul is thinking about the many dangerous crossings of rivers in flood time. These were just taken in stride. Again, part of the program. You know, you can picture Paul standing at a river's edge saying, well, Lord, here we go again. Let's go. We see that also with Joshua when he was crossed, when God told Joshua to cross the Jordan to go to Canaan. Listen to what the scripture says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. Listen, for within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, here they are, Joshua leading the people. They're getting ready to go to Jordan, but they got to, to Canaan, but they got to cross this Jordan River. And it's, it's rushing. It's flood time. But God didn't explain to them, hey, Jonah, uh, hey, uh, Joshua, here's how we're getting across. He just said, get ready. Get ready. Didn't explain how they were going to get across. There were no boats around. There were no boat, no boat builders in their midst. But they prepared to go forward out by faith in God's word. You know, through this, this verse that I just read to you, you might begin to wonder, okay, how they, notice the words, you will cross over. That's the promise. Many times we don't, we don't pay attention enough to, hey, wait a minute, it says you will cross over. It didn't say how. But he said, you will. The how is God's doing. We always worry about the how. But he said, you will. That's God's word. The promise is in God's word. The way is in God's word. That's all I want to hear. Joe, you're going to make it. All right. Rest is up to you, God. I don't have to worry about that part. You don't have to explain to me how, God. I just want to know I'm going to make it. Even though, they had, even though the people may have seen a ton of difficulties, they didn't complain. We should always follow Jesus Christ when it seems impossible and when it seems hopeless. Paul says, hey, I was in danger of robbers in verse 26. There were violent outlaws, robbers, thieves on the roads who would rob their victims. And also verse 26, he says, I was in danger of my own people, my own countrymen. His own nation disowned him wherever he went. And then in verse 26, he was in danger of the Gentiles, those who weren't his people, those that weren't Jews. Paul was no ordinary traveler. He was a marked man. He had enemies among the Jews and the Gentiles. And some would have liked to have killed him. He said in verse 26, I was in danger in the cities, in the wilderness, in the sea, and amongst false brethren. Paul experienced so many different dangers. And once again, the false ministers could not say the same thing about themselves. That's why Paul was boasting about these things. Because, again, to show the Corinthians, 
these guys who are coming to you and saying they're in the same ministry, claiming the same things about Jesus, they can't, they can't say that they have experienced what I've experienced because he was a true servant of God. He experienced so many different dangers. And again, the other guy, the, the false ministers, they couldn't boast of this. They would have to lie because, see, they wouldn't have put up with these dangers. Why? Because they were in a ministry not to be inconvenienced, but to make themselves comfortable. And you see, those who truly are not called by God, they won't put up with these kind of things. They'll just, they'll just quit on the spot. But when you're called and you're commissioned, you go. Paul paid a high price to serve the Lord. Look at verse 27. Again, he continues on. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Notice that. Paul describes the personal consequences of all of this difficult travel. No wonder he was filled with weariness and pain. Many times he had to go without food. He had to go without drink. He had to go without sleep. And sometimes he didn't even have clothes to wear to keep himself warm. He had to suffer a lot of pain and hardships. Paul worked until he was weary to the bone and he didn't have the luxury of enjoying three meals a day. Paul's critics didn't know anything about this kind of commitment and service that Paul is talking about here. Paul endured them all because of his love for Jesus Christ and the church. Verse 28. Besides the other things, notice, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul's greatest burden wasn't about him. Paul's greatest burden was within him. He said it was his deep concern for all the churches. Why did Paul care so much for the churches? Because he identified with the believers. Verse 29. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. His, uh, whatever happened to, to the Corinthians, to the believers, it touched him. It touched his heart. And he couldn't abandon them. He felt their hurt. He felt their pain. Paul had a special concern for the weak. Those who were weak because of illness or poverty. Those who who were in a low social position or those who are weak in faith. Paul had a great concern for them. He says, who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who's led astray? And then I don't get angry about it. You see, Paul identified himself with all of them. Not only does Paul show his care here, he confirms his care. Because he compares himself to his rival, he confirms his own infirmities. Verse 30. He says, if I must boast, I will boast, notice, in the things which concern my infirmity. He says, if, I'm, if I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that, that show how weak I am. Verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul was forced to do this. To prove the difference between who he was and the ministry that God gave him and the false prophets. Those who say they had a ministry like Paul and those who said they were like Paul. 
He had listed here his persecutions. He listed his hardships. And he listed all the dangers he experienced already. Already for the cause of Christ. Now he could have written these things down. He could have written all kinds of books about his hair-raising life and the death adventures, but his desire wasn't to boast. But he's saying, man, if I had to do it, if I had to write about anything, it would be my infirmities, about my weaknesses. I wouldn't boast about my pedigree. I won't boast about my apostleship. I'm not going to boast about my achievements. Those were the things that Paul's adversaries were boasting about. See, Paul's, Paul's enemies were boasting about their credentials and where they came from and their lineage and their achievements. Paul was, Paul was boasting about his weakness. Why? Because what he accomplished, God did. Paul didn't do it. He was just a vessel. He was just a tool. Paul would boast about his weaknesses. He would boast about his total inability to make anything happen because all glory belonged to God. And he was totally sincere about this. And he calls on God the Father to be his witness. He says, God knows that I'm not lying about all the things that I just told you about my persecutions, my sufferings, and my weaknesses. I mean, why would anybody doubt Paul's story? The boasting of his weakness is so ridiculous that his adversaries might be inclined to think that he's speaking foolishly. Do you normally boast about your failures? No. We like to boast about our achievements. Paul was boasting about his failures. Why? To show it was all God. God gets the glory. Let's close with verses 32 and 33. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. Paul says, but I was led down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And then finally, Paul finishes the list here of his missionary experiences with this one illustration in verses 32 and 33. Paul finishes the story here of his sufferings by telling about this humiliating experience in Damascus. Here was Paul, the great apostle, smuggled out of the city in a basket lowered down over the wall. Now, would any of the Judaizers, any of these so-called, you know, uh, big shots, religious big shots, ever tell a story like that? No. We just want to show all of our achievements, all of our awards, all of the things that we can, that we can glory in and of ourselves. But Paul finishes by saying, hey man, I had to escape the city by being lowered down a wall in a basket. Would any of the Judaizers tell that story? No way. Even Paul, even when Paul did tell about his sufferings, he made sure Jesus was glorified and not himself. And you can't read these verses without admiring Paul's courage and his devotion. Every trial in Paul's life left its mark on him. And you know what? He kept going. He kept serving the Lord Jesus. Because he said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Acts 20, 24. He says, none of these things move me, man. I don't count my life dear to myself. Philippians 3, 8, Paul said, yet indeed I also count all things. Notice, I count all things. 
lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Everything to Paul in his life was trash. To be discarded so it wouldn't get in the way of serving Jesus Christ. Paul definitely proved his love for the church. Now the church had to prove its love for Paul. May we never take for granted the sacrifices that others have made so that we might enjoy the blessings of the gospel today. Father, we thank you so much for this great passage, Lord. We thank you for men and women like the Apostle Paul who have given of themselves, Lord, that we might have the gospel today. Hearing it preached in your house this morning, God. Lord, help us to count the cost. Help us not to fear the voices crying out in this world today, trying to put us down, trying to mock us and ridicule us, trying to rid us of the word of God, trying to shut down churches, Lord, trying to make us look like fools, God. Let us be fools, but fools for Christ. Let us stand up, let us not shut up, and let us just be, God, all that you've called us to be, Lord. Let us count the cost that you might receive all the glory. We thank you, Lord. Bless our time now as Pastor Tony leads us in communion, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.